and grow rich. And we're this live. is Hack and Grow Rich. My name is Bart Baggett, and my co-host is Shaheen Cheyenne, and we are so happy to be here. We're bringing you an interesting show about fighting, about winning, about hacking, about being the best you can be. And uh, one of my favorite people on the planet is Shaheen. Shaheen, brother, talk about what we're going to do today. This is one of my favorite episodes. Oh, thanks so much. And, and Bart, so, so delighted to be on another episode. For you guys who don't know Bart, a success and performance coach of the highest level and author of several books, including Secrets of the Rich and Happy or something like that. But I mess it up every time. I think you got it. That was pretty good. Did I get pretty it? Good. Yeah, yes. the magic question and success secrets. But your book is called Billion, but we're not here to talk about us. You know, we're two oh. guys. We figured a few things out. We probably failed more than a lot of us have. And we want to talk about success and the mental performance aspect of how you get what you really want and be happy. Shaheen, his history is well-documented in an upcoming movie, a book, a podcast called Billion, as well, of course, as um, his millions of dollars a month in Amazon revenue with his class. So if you guys don't know who we are, then go Google us because I think we're kind of cool. But our guest is even cooler. What are we going to do today that's a little bit different than the past few episodes, Shaheen? Oh, we've got someone real special on today. So let me go ahead and share a little clip. Can you see my screen? Yes, sir. All right. Let's take a look. I wanted to be back here. I'm back here. So everything I do this week, I'm taking it and appreciating. I spent the last year and a half basically in the trenches working my way back. So getting that call is very fulfilling. Kind of funny story. I just got done stuffing my face with New Year's dinner. And I got the call and I said to my wife, I think I'm going to go for a run. <laughs> Takedown by Brenneman and he's on top. We kind of decided as a team that my, my next best move would be to drop to 55, get some wins, get some finishes, and get my way back. And it's definitely turned out to be the right decision. I can't say that I, I wish I would have done it from the beginning because Ooh. the whole Rick Story fight was the, the highlight of my life. I wouldn't want to forego that. But yeah, looking at my guys at lightweight versus looking at my guys at welterweight, it's night and day. The guys at welterweight were huge. Shoulders, legs, hips, everything. The guys at 55, it's like, oh, thank goodness I get to fight like this. Brenneman is a very good mixed martial artist, but he's an excellent wrestler. Benio hasn't been here. I've been in the, the octagon against the biggest, strongest guys at welterweight. Maybe he's the next lightweight champ. We don't know that. I know what it takes. I'm going to go into the fight assuming that he's in for a treat. I'm going to take it to him. The UFC is the organization. There wasn't any doubt that I wanted to get back. Wow. Wow. Now, you know, I mean, we have a lot of people on the show. Some are fighters, a lot of people with martial arts experience, very few people that have gotten to Charlie's level. And, and, you know, Bart, the thing that I'm interested in, so Charlie's had a lot of successes. He's had a few losses as well, which is normal for, for anybody in business and life, anywhere where you go, you're going to have some losses. As long as your successes are bigger than your losses, you do very well. We talk about that. But there's two things that I'm interested in. One of them is, how do you handle a loss? What makes you different from other people? Because if you are put into a situation, into an environment where you may win and you may lose, but what may be more important than winning is how you handle the loss. How do you handle that? So I'm very interested in what Charlie might have to say and how he might describe that to us. I think both of us have a little bit of martial arts background, but no one compared to Charlie. And so we are definitely an alpha show 
Like we talk about winning and beating the competition and fighting. Like there's just no, this is not like everybody wins a trophy type of show. Like we want to hack, we want to win, we want to have discipline and uh, there's no room for, you know, those people that don't want that. So, you know, we love having alpha guests like the Spaniard on the show. So let's bring on um, one of our, our new friends, M, uh, MMA star and uh, fighter extraordinaire, Charlie the Spaniard. Brendan, hey brother, how are you? Cue the entrance. I'm doing pretty well. I appreciate the kind words, fellas. So tell us what it's like to transition from a normal guy to decide to be a fighter and to get paid to get punched in the face every few months. Yeah, the, so watching that video, Shane, you know, you brought up that video and I hadn't, I'm sure I, I saw it, but if I did, it was years and years ago. And it's funny, you know, you're talking about winning, losing and performing and moving forward. And I got my ass kicked that fight, right? And and Benil, the guy I fought, is still in the UFC. He's having quite a career in the UFC. Turns out he's a stud, you know? And I'm watching that thinking, you just don't know. Like, you just don't know. You, you, you do your best, you, you give it your all. Truth is you don't know. And I realized that in life, in business, in sports, and, and I, I just, you have my perspective. You have no choice but to believe and just to move forward and win or lose, keep believing, keep moving forward. The transition, you know, you asked about the transition part. It's interesting, you know, it, it, it it's a weird, mentality fighting is is a very you know it, it's uh you know not kill or be killed but beat up or get beat up mindset and then when when you transition into father neighbor guy at the store that has no outlet for that it is 100 percent a different transition even interacting with people you know in a fight you push me i push you we fight well you don't do that in regular life so it's the the, the psychological transition not something that I even knew would be there, but it's definitely a work in progress. Wow. So, all right. So you're there, your first UFC fight. You walk in, you've obviously trained before. You might've gone to camp. You'd done a bunch of stuff. I saw you talking about having a big Thanksgiving dinner before they, before they called you. But so you go in, you know, they introduce you, you're walking into the ring. That's it. It's you and your opponent. What, what's going through your mind? Because before that period of time, sure, you're on the mats and you know, you're sparring and you're in the ring and you, you know, you're training. But in that moment, when all the lights are on you and everybody's watching to see what the kid's gonna do, what's what Spaniard gonna do, and it's your first time in that ring at UFC, the biggest mixed martial arts venue in the world, it, Tell us a little bit about your mindset. I know you talked about uncertainty, and I know Bart's going to want to go into that too and talking about how you deal with uncertainty and how that builds grit. But wh what's going through your mind? What are you thinking? How are you feeling when that happens? Well, I think the more, you know, where I'll start to answer that question is about, I don't know, seven, eight, nine hours before that actual time. Um, pretty much every fight I've had, you know, you wake up, weigh-ins are day before so then you wake up generally get a good meal in after weigh-ins you're stuffed you're you know it's, i would say fat and happy go to bed wake up the next morning as soon as you open your eyes it's like boom, like that that sinking feeling in your stomach like realizing what you got to do tonight later that day 
And that fight down in North Carolina was in Charlotte, and it was at the Bojangles Coliseum. And uh, the answer to your question really started that afternoon, I don't know, let's say 11 o'clock. Uh, my wife and I went for a walk around Charlotte. It was beautiful. And um, I, it was so, like, overwhelmingly scary that it, it's like kind of being a – you know, like being a a, a, a baby and or a, not a baby, a, a young child enough to know what scared is and just like feeling like totally afraid and out of your element. And we sat there. And it was a real peaceful, beautiful afternoon. We just like sat and walked and talked. And it, it was the realization of a dream as in, hey, I'm here. This is what I left my job for. But then also it was the uh, overwhelmingness of the task at hand. And that that afternoon, I'll never forget. And then, in terms of in the in the octagon, it, it's it's very surreal. It's the same feeling, right? Your question to the first time, it was the same as the last time. It's very very surreal. Uh, if you've ever been in any sort of an accident, broken a bone, like it all happens very fast. It's very kind of out of body. The canvas of the UFC octagon is very distinctive. I it, you know I, I don't walk on canvases like that other than when I'm fighting, right? It's not like a plastic or a wrestling mat. It's, it's, a, it's a, a, a canvas, um, a fabric. And it's just like, duh, that, that, that just like a scent can bring you back to a place. As soon as your bare feet touch that, it, it like, like it, it brings you into the zone. And then it's, it also kind of sucks because you get warmed up in the back and then it's on TV. So there's production, there's cameras, there's wait time, there's standstill, five, four, three, two, one, go. You get out there, they announce you, they turn the lights out in the arena, they, the other guy can, so it's like a, a, you know, a big show. In the meantime, you're trying to keep your thoughts straight, not being scared out of your mind. And then the guy comes and they announce him and then ready fight. And it's like, bah! there's this animal running at you. It's, it's, it's overwhelming and, and surreal every time. Wow. Now I know you transitioned from there to a life of business are there any corollaries well the, the the lessons the the fear the uncertainty the self-doubt the resilience the perseverance a hundred percent and i think that's probably similar to i'll say any business most businesses the fact that i speak on stages in front of large crowds there is that element of you know not wanting to, to perform terribly but no one's coming at me like so it's 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 a different fear and pressure. It's, it's a lot less intense. Yeah. I have a question about your preparation. Um, I run a couple of schools and I'm a speaker like you, Charlie, and uh, one of our schools, we have tests and the students are having massive text test anxiety recently. And, and I remember my test, I remember even getting in fights in junior high and like the anxiety of meeting the guy after school is a fight like preparing for a test uh, to our listeners, except that you're getting punched in the face for every wrong answer? Or is, is there some other metaphor to help the discipline? Because if there's a test day, like I don't go out, I'm not going to the movies. Like I remember studying and studying and studying. And then when the fight's over, do you change your, your routine? I guess that's my question. How do you prepare and how do you, how do you teach your students? I know you have books on this topic as far as discipline, because that's something I think we could all learn from. I think it's I do think it's similar the 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 schooling taking a test and going into a fight and it's one of those things where if you look at you know let, let's say the first thing that popped into my head was a marriage right like a marriage gone bad and and divorce and the day before your divorce saying how do I make my marriage better well that is like 10 years ago or 15 or 20 it's not right now 
So the way that I relate fighting to the test is the confidence comes from the preparation, the day of the test. Yeah, have a good breakfast, get proper rest the night before. But if you haven't been putting in the work for the last whatever week, month, two, whatever, there's nothing you can do. And it, it's other than the rest and the physical, mental kind of like at easeness. But the, the, yeah, I mean, it, it's from the preparation and that's an answer nobody wants to hear because it's not a quick fix. It's very hard, but I mean, that's, that's the reality of it. The only reason I walked in believing I could win is because I put in the work to win. And with that came confidence. So that's great. So, so talking about winning, let's, let's talk about the other end of that. So I know you go in, you're, you're an alpha guy, you're a fighter, you're a scrappy guy, you're going to go in to win. And that's what, that's what you're doing. But what happens when you don't win? And I want to talk about that. I know you've had a lot of great fights. You've had a lot of great wins and you've had a few losses in there. What, how do you, so, so you, you go into the, to the octagon, you see your opponent, you think you can take him, you know, you could take him, you start to fight, you're, you're in there, you're throwing punches, he's throwing punches, you take it to the ground and somehow, somewhere along the way, you lose by decision, by whatever happens, at the end, you lose. What's going through your head in that moment? I mean, like the, 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 the opposite of the, the, the highest high. You know, it, it's just like, it, it's disbelief. It's a little bit of surrealness, you know, getting choked out and tapping and having the ref pull the guy off you. Like there's a moment of, you know, like WTF just happened. And then the audience and then it slowly comes to you all the things you have to deal with right like the immediate walking to the center him having his hand raised not your name walking back people booing you making fun of you dealing with the the, the mental and emotional side of it if you got injured like there's a lot of stuff that you have to deal with that slowly comes to the surface and kind of seeps and creeps into your reality uh, but it's a terrible feeling and i think you know you mentioned schools a minute ago bart i think you know, what, what I would tell anyone and what I do, to, I speak a lot to students, and, and what I tell them on the front end is, you know, regardless of how well you do, how good you are, how successful you are, it's reg a, a million percent there's going to be losses along the way. So I think going into fighting, going into any sort of life or business, just that awareness of, all right, I'm going to do the work, I'm going to train, going to prepare, going to develop the confidence, but I do know uh, that I could lose. I, I don't, I don't believe, I don't practice the philosophy of not pretending that there is a possible bad outcome. Like I know there's, there could be a bad outcome. I could die. Like I, I could literally die. So I'm very honest with that. Um, similarly in business, I don't, I don't burn the ships. I do have a plan B. I just never look at it. I put it in the closet. I haven't thought about it for years. Same thing with a fight. Like I'm very aware of the fact that, Hey, I, I could lose. I, I know I could lose, but I'm, I'm not, it's in my back pocket. It's, it's not even in my consciousness, but as part of the preparation, I do reckon with that fact. Um, I have um, noticed that my ability to fail frequently and get back up has probably been one of the keys to, to my success, but both from radio show and, and stand-up comedy and even playing guitar, which I'm not very good at, Charlie, but I've been doing it five years and pretty much failing every week and feeling like crap. And then occasionally I'm like, hey, it's coming together because I put in all the hours. Yeah. And, and uh, one of my students, he's been around 10 years, um, he, he doesn't, like he won't 
take that step and teach, you know, because he doesn't want that painful sense of failure. And you can tell he's like, well, I'm almost ready. I'm like, dude, it's been 10 years. I'm almost ready to teach that course. And I'm like, come on, man, get out, get on the mat. How do you motivate people to sustain and to realize that you're going to fail more than you're going to succeed. But if you smell, if you, if you smell, if you fail small and you win big, it it all comes out even. The way I do that personally is obviously by saying it, right? Like saying it, but then showing it via my story and to each person it would be very differently but but saying it stating it showing it via my story that i've lived and then also demonstrating it honestly via my podcast my business now i mean it's whether it's showing videos of uh you know like old speaking things that i just sound like an idiot or whether it's being honest about uh, the developing the artwork to uh, the podcast or, you know, th- there's a lot of stuff that goes in that doesn't hit. And I just think that being honest and open about this stuff with your audience, look, you're not going to, you can't make anyone unafraid to fail. You can only like lead the way and actually do it yourself. Like you're talking about comedy, like you bombing on stage is helping the people in the audience realize Oh, hey, maybe I can fail too and I'm not going to die or I'm not going to explode. Like, it's just a part of life. That has I, never happened, Charlie. I'm 100% funny I, all the time. You I bet. 100% believe it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've got a question for you. So, all right. We watch UFC and Bart and I are often talking about this. And you see that there's some people, um, you know, like a very particular Irish man who's got an amazing story, but he's built his career on shit talking and he comes out there and he's larger than life and he does crazy things. And, and then you have other people like Khabib that, you know, born and bred fighter from day one, a killer undefeated, just unbelievable, humble and uh, a mellow person. So this is my question for you, which I think is interesting. Is it easier for you? Or more difficult to beat an opponent that you don't like? Um, I've never had an opponent I don't like. But if it were like a a professional fight, I don't think it would matter. I, I don't think I would get lost in the emotion. I know people have said they've gotten lost in the emotion. Poirier, you know, said that he got lost in the emotion when he fought uh, McGregor the first time. Uh, Aldo, I think, got you know, pretty caught up in the emotion when he fought McGregor and that had negative impact. I don't think, and I'm talking with a 40 year old post fighting career brain right now. I don't think I would get, I don't think I would get mixed up in the emotion of it any more than I would get afraid of the shit talking. Like I I don't care. It doesn't matter. Like what matters is you versus me in the octagon period. That's it. So I don't think it really matters. Um, and it's interesting, this is a side note to that, but it's interesting because there are professional fighters who get in fights outside of professional fighting who don't do very well because they're fighting emotionally. Like they're not acting like professional fighters. They're acting like an emotional person who's fighting a fist fight. And you think to yourself, how does that happen? Like you're a trained fighter. Yeah, well, I think it you know probably takes a certain kind of personality to be willing to do what it takes to get to your level, to get to UFC level. Cause it's one thing where you go in a couple times a week and you train in a studio and you roll on the mats and you know, you're there with your buds and people who care about you. 
And it's another thing to, like you said, you face death every day when you go into UFC, when you go into that octagon, every day in that octagon, you don't, it could be two men enter, one man leaves. Yeah, there's no doubt or avoiding that. It's kind of, as you were saying that, I was thinking of an analogy. It's kind of like if you, you know, there's the, I'm sure we can all think of one or two or three friends in the past who, you know, if you're at a party or you're going out, they kind of take it to the next level. And and most of us kind of like realize, yeah, it's going a little too far, man. I think I'm going to go home, right? Well, it's that kind of that way. Like a lot of people are going to the, the gym and rolling and rolling and then they're, they're going home. Very few people want to go that like, to that place uh, and it's not obviously not the same as i'm talking about partying but yeah it's a uh, a few people who who go there and it's really weird for me personally I, I don't know why i'm not unique or special or i don't have anything that no one else has other than i just chose to do it and worked really hard to get proficient at it i read that you uh got kicked in the face in practice if, I, if i'm correct and did that make you mad that he wasn't following the practice rules or did you make an error or is that just kind of what happens in in the nfl too sometimes off season people get hurt like is it a normal thing to get hurt because when i took martial arts one of the rules when we sparred is we just didn't hit each other as much which i really didn't like and i know shaheen has the ability to have a little more contact but because of that you know nobody got punched in the face how how do you how do you do that and, and then also maintain fitness, but also have the in practice, uh, the, you know, the yeah. live experience. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't hold that against, uh, he's my friend. I mean, it just happened. It's kind of like you enter into an agreement. We're, we know what we're doing. We're fighting. You're like, there are, I guess there would be an instance where if that happened with another person who I felt was an a-hole or being unsafe, yeah, I'd be big time pissed. But when that happened, he fractured my orbital socket and I lost my vision in my left eye for a short period of time and had double vision, had to have surgery. Wow. I, I have absolutely, they're, they're my friends. They're, they're like two of my best fighting friends ever. And it just happened. It's an agreement. It's a it's a, a risk. Like the, the can't make an omelet without breaking eggs. Well, guess what? We're fighting, so we're going to get hit and sometimes we'll get hurt. And we agree to that. Yeah, and you and I, Charlie, talked about this yesterday that as martial artists, we often talk about how truth is found in combat. And it's part of the purity of that. You know, I, I look at these. So you, you ever watch, you know, like the old school Las Vegas videos and you got those two like super eccentric dudes that are there with the lions and one of those dudes got mauled. And people think it's, you know, a terrible tragedy or whatever. And yes, it was, it was unfortunate that that dude got mauled by a tiger. But the only reason why those dudes are interesting is because they are defying death by being around these fucking killing machines. Those animals are fucking killers. And the reason why it's interesting, why there is a purity to that interaction is because it's dangerous. If they were hanging out with little kitty cats, nobody would want to watch it. It's not interesting. So the fact that dude got mauled, yes, it's a tragedy and it's unfortunate that anybody gets injured or killed because of that, especially an artist or a performer. But at the end of the day, that's the game they're playing. They're like, we're dealing with these deadly situations, which makes us interesting. Come and watch. And, and deadly means that you have that potential. So not so much so when you're rolling with jujitsu or kickboxing, because there's an agreement where you know, you're not going to fight dirty or you're, you know, you might, you might roll hard or you might go all out, but 
you're not going to do something to injure your sparring partner intentionally. That's not the goal. I'm sure it's different in the octagon, but, but doing that. So th there, there is, I think that agreement when you're, when you're training and, and when you're sparring. Um, all right. So by the way, guys, we are now live on Facebook. So anybody that has any questions for Charlie, the Spaniards, go ahead and type them into the chat. If you guys want to watch this full video, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We will have the full video up on the YouTube channel, but we are, for any of you early risers, anybody that's interested in asking Charlie any questions, we are open to questions. And I want to move on to how you went from UFC to becoming the world's toughest lifelong learner in your book. So for somebody who doesn't know you, who doesn't know your background, tell me about that journey and how we could use that to improve ourselves. Yeah, I think the, I actually want to backtrack a minute before I segue into that, you know, talking about the risks involved in, in fighting and or anything you do, you know, there, there's uh, Alex Honnold, who was the, the center of the star of Free Solo, uh, climbing El Capitan like 3,000 feet without any ropes or anything. In his book, he and in his talks, he talks about risk and consequence, right? Like, like measuring risk versus what's the consequence of it. And I, I, I think that's really intelligent. And you know, with with now with COVID and everything going on, like there is risk. There's risk involved, and each person has a different scale of the risk that they're willing to take. And whether it's fighting, whether it's COVID, whether it's business, life, whatever, risk is inherent. And as a former fighter, I went into it knowing I'm risking my health. Okay, I, I could have brain damage. I could get knocked out, could break a limb, could get stitches, could fracture my eye socket. I'm well aware of that. So the hindsight of me going there, getting knocked out, and someone saying, oh, you idiot, how could you do that and get knocked out? It's like, I knew that might happen. I, I knew it happened, so I'm not an idiot. It was calculated. I understand that's the risk and I'm playing that game. So Bart, kind of connecting what you said, what you said, Shaheen, it, it, that risk is there. I knew it was there. I have no qualms about anything. Like, I, I get it. That's the game that I was playing. Um, segwaying to what you asked about that transition, it, it was similar. Interestingly enough, my transition from fighting to world's toughest lifelong learner slash speaking, podcasting, writing is similar to my transition from teaching to fighting because I got to a point in teaching where I wasn't happy anymore. I got on a reality show. I won the reality show and that like got my juices flowing again. I wanted to do something and it was like, what can I do? And so I just took a look at my skills. Like, what can I like? What actually can I do? What physical skills do I have? What, what can I speak Spanish? I wrestled. What can I do with that? And then that led me to fighting and then post fighting. It was all right. What do I want to do? What skills do I have? Okay. Well, I have a backstory that's unique. I like being on stage. I like talking. Uh, I have a story to tell. I like interacting, inspiring people. And then that set me on the pathway to speaking and podcasting and writing books. And then World's Toughest Lifelong Learner, it's interesting. You know, you you, you run businesses, right? Uh, um, you teach people how to build and scale and develop businesses and products, et cetera. World's Toughest Lifelong Learner, it's kind of, I mean, it is a thing, but it's also might not be a thing. Like it's, it's part of my business evolution where I, I personally look at this idea, world's toughest lifelong learner. And to me, it connotes everything I want to be right. Uh, a, a tough guy, meaning mental, emotional, physical, 
And then also lifelong learning, which is curiosity. It represents a good life to me. And so I put them together as the, the part of the title in my second book. And it, it, to me, it's, it's an inspiring aspiration that I want people to kind of stick in their brains and work toward themselves. Just to take a minute and, and plug that book title so our listeners can run over. Do you prefer Amazon, Audible? Take a second and pitch, pitch your book for sure. Yeah, so my first book is called Driven, My Unlikely Journey from Classroom to Cage. And um, that, that basically tells my story. Uh, small town wrestler, junior high Spanish teacher getting to the UFC. And then becoming the world's toughest lifelong learner is 100% uh, more so a self-development slash business development book. It's a very open view of having done something unique, transitioning into something else after that, and a very honest look at what it takes and the realities of building a business. Uh, that's called Becoming the World's Toughest Lifelong Learner, and Amazon is the best place for both of them. Let me ask you a question. Thank you for that. Um, and uh, I, I teach a lot about life design, very similar as far as you are as a teacher and, and helping people achieve more. One of the things that I've discovered in the last 20 years is if I can get people to adopt small habits on a daily basis, over time, their life shifts profoundly. That funny story. So during the, during the COVID, I was driving through Tennessee, and one of the guys Facebooked me said, hey, by the way, I read your book 20 years ago. I go, really? You know, well, he goes, yeah. He goes, I'm now rich and happy. He literally said that. That's awesome. Because, and I was like, that's awesome. He goes, I really wish it hadn't taken 20 years. <laughs> and I was like, what am I supposed to do? But yeah. the small habits, and he was being serious, the small habits over time moved his career and his money and his family in this beautiful direction. But nobody wants to wait 20 years. No one wants to wait a month. You know, people are 100 pounds overweight, but they want to diet to hang yes, you know, to change them yesterday. How do you explain this this habit theory? And there's a couple of really good books on small habits. But how do you explain that getting up at 6 a.m. or working out every day is not about just the result of that thing? It's about the mental discipline and the dopamine and, and the the overarch of, of learning to have these disciplines over time. How do you explain that concept in a more succinct way? Yeah, and I'll give a couple of references. So Slight Edge is a great book that, you know, focuses on that, the small actions over a large period of time. Uh, Atomic Habits and then The Power of Habit are both great books to, to solidify that, what we're talking about here, the power of those habits. I, I just did an, an interview before before you guys. I was had a guest on my show, and I had said to him in the middle of the conversation, discipline is not hard to me. It sounds weird, but discipline is not hard to me. I feel a self-imposed uh, pressure or less than if I don't, if I'm not disciplined, I feel like it, I, I owe it to the world, to the universe, to myself, whatever. So it's not hard for me, but it's hard to like really see the value in it because like compound interest, it doesn't do anything immediately. It's over a long period of time. And I think that's one of those things like trying to get someone to overcome fear or pull the trigger on taking an action. I can't convince them. The proof is in the pudding. I mean, I, I think that just like learning a language, just like learning any skill, you, you can't, you're not born sprinting, right? It's just a gradual process. You're not born, I speak Spanish. I, I didn't just go to Spanish day one and, and learn Spanish. It, it's an incremental process, step-by-step uh, -step process. And it's not what people want to hear because it is hard. But the, the, I think, unfortunately, the answer to your question is like the proof is in the pudding. Look at anyone who's good at anything and look at their story and you realize that it really is a gradual process. 
That being said, there are simple, easy things you can do on a regular basis to Im improve your discipline or practice your discipline. Drinking water. I have water right beside me. I've been carrying a water bottle for I don't know how long, right? Um, I get I personally get up early. That helps me practice discipline. It also gives me time. I have small kids. If I were a professional fighter, I wouldn't be getting up early in the morning. I, I wouldn't need to. It wouldn't serve my purpose. Um, I read a lot. I cover a new book every Monday on my show. So those are like three practices that inevitably benefit you as a person. And then also just for you person, if you're having a tough time implementing discipline, getting in front of why, right? Like why, why? And most of the time you'll get to the realization that, oh, I don't really want that, right? Ah, oh, I wish I'd get up early in the morning. Do you? No, why? I don't know, I just don't feel like it. Well, then you don't want to do it. You know, I think that's a, a truth that people don't want to stand in front of. Uh, but that can help clear your wasted mental energy if you get those kind of not really true things out of your mind. That wasn't very sync, Bart. <laughs> it was. It was very interesting, and I like it. Um, I, 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 I've noticed. I want, I guess I found like four or five different books on coaching, you know, this coaching industry, which is very popular. And one of the odd things I found is that every one of them in the beginning wants people to make their bed. And when I first saw this, I just thought that was stupid. I was like, that's just ridiculous. Why do all these different coachings have to make, who cares? Cause I don't remember. And then it occurred to me that it wasn't at all about making the bed. Correct. It was just about getting one thing checked off that was discipline and consistency and it had a little dopamine hit i did something good today yeah and when i realized that i was like oh my god that's awesome like i don't care if you make your bed but what i do like is people checking off little to-dos and getting this hit of like you know what i did something i'm good and then if you build up those from one thing a day to 20 things a day now you're doing what you're doing which is getting up because you want to get up at 6 a.m yep. And you're happy listening to audiobooks and you're happy jogging or going to the gym. I think that was an interesting takeaway when I was looking at all this coaching stuff. I was like, huh, that's not about making the bed. That's about discipline and rewarding good behavior to become habits. I like that a lot. And I'll, I'll use that in the future, that idea, because you nailed it. Like, I don't make my bed and I have a messy car. Why? Because I don't care about my bed and I don't care about my car. But I do care about reading a book a week. I do care about drinking water. I do care about exercising. There are things that I care about that I do all the time. So there, there, there's no one right way, but you nailed it. And for anyone listening, that, that's it. Like, just because Jocko gets up at 4.30 doesn't mean you have to get up at 4.30. Maybe you just stretch before bed. You know, maybe you just call a friend a day. You know, whatever it is, like, it, it can look and be different for each person. Yeah, I had a, I had a friend that... Um... I don't know, at nine o'clock at night, she would just stop and do like these, these crunches or these, these push-ups and, and these, and I was every day and I'm like, holy Christ, it's 10 minutes a day. That's all it takes. Yeah. But she stops what she's doing and she did this every day. And I was like, well, that's why she has a six pack and I don't. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like you probably do have a six pack under there, but. <laughs> I wish Shaheen is much more fit. Shaheen, and you've been quiet for a minute, brother. What do you no, think? No, and it's and it's funny because you mentioned Jocko, and I love his podcast and his book, and I've been watching that guy. And I just think to myself, "Fuck, I feel bad for the dude that's got to roll with that guy." I mean, he is just straight fucking killer. And it's funny because you know, I mean, you and me were talking earlier, Charlie. You know that I, you know I also train Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, 
and, you know, I try to keep my discipline going and training. And sometimes I go into, you know, my studio and, you know, there'll be like one of these black belts in there. And some of these guys, they like lift and they do jits and they train like four or five times a week. And like, I don't think a lot of these guys are anywhere near the killing machine that Jocko is like a literal freaking killing machine. And I get one of these guys who's like this black belt and he gets me inside control or something. And I'm just like, fuck, like there's nothing I can do to move this dude. And I see the instructor above me and he's like, man, just inch by inch, just, you know, you gotta like, and I'm like, fuck man, I can't breathe. And then I look at a guy like Jocko and I'm thinking he's like that times a hundred. And I'm like, fuck fuck man i feel bad for the dudes that have to roll with that guy and i watch i watch the videos of like him in the studio and stuff and all those guys are giants yeah it it's funny as you're saying that story i'm thinking i I got to train with a lot of like unbelievable people in my career from uh, matt hughes to dan henderson george st pierre frankie edgar like miller brothers a lot of a lot of studs uh, Khabib, you know, when he first came to America. So a lot of studs. And I remember it, I, I would, John Donaher at uh, Enzo Gracie School in New York City would have this Monday class. And it was literally anyone could show up. Uh, GSP would show up sometimes. Jake Shields would show up sometimes. Matt Ham would show up sometimes. And then there's like 20 Brazilian, Brazilian from Brazil, black belts who are murderers who nobody has ever heard of <laughs> who just murder it's a class and i would like lack of a better word shit my pants riding the the train into new york city because it was just like oh my gosh and i remember one specific time the most one of the top two most times i've ever felt helpless in my life gsp was on top control and i only trained with him hands-on i think twice but uh he was in top control and it was like I, I there were, I couldn't move an inch, a millimeter. There there was just no hope that I could move at all, and it really is a daunting, scaring, scary feeling. So that you know that's not the same as studying for a test. That's not the same as speaking on a stage, but it certainly helped prepare me for those kind of stressful back against the wall moments. I love that, and what a great analogy for us actually to wind this down. So we talk about business when we're talking about hack and grow rich. And it's one of the one of my favorite sayings, and I know Bart always smirks when I say this, but it's it's an amazing quote that I love that's also in my book, Billion. And that's that when you are sleeping, your enemies are planning your demise. So why not get in that top position and not give the guy under you any room to breathe? Do not give an inch and make them feel like you are going to be on top forever. What a great way to be in business, to be dominant, to be an alpha leader and to create a niche and dominate it, which is what we teach on Amazon Mastery. I'm not going to talk too much about that. More importantly, Charlie, how do people get a hold of you if they want to book you for speaking, if they want to get a hold of your book, if they want to watch your show? Give us all the details of how people can find you. Yeah, I'll start with something, Bart, you said that that got me thinking. You were just talking about the the habits and the small things every day. So I have a podcast. It's called The Spaniard Show. And and this is the thing that really doesn't make me money or makes me the least amount of money. Uh, but it's the thing that I believe that if you, listener, you, person, me, implement into your day, your Monday through Friday, it'll have a profound impact. I record a, a daily episode. It's five minutes. Um, it's basically color commentary on books Monday through Friday 
and I've been told, oh man, you put out too many episodes. My retort to that, it's five minutes, Monday through Friday. And you're actively learning, right? Being entertained and learning at the same time. So first and foremost, I'd say, listen to The Spaniard Show. I cover a new book every Monday uh, through Friday, five-minute episodes. And then my website is charliespaniard.com. Name is Charlie, nickname Spaniard. And that has my uh, social media, my speaking information. I have a really awesome interactive reading list on my website too that I'm really proud of and it, it, it it's just it's a really cool thing that I, I hope grows over time and uh, at Charlie Spaniard on social media so if you're confused at any of that just Google Spaniard UFC and it'll all pop up I love that make sure you look him up and, and we will include that in the show notes as well Bart how do people find you and get your book well, I'm actually going to send Charlie both my books. Maybe nice. I'll end up on his reading list one day. Uh, nice. My, my best-selling book is called The Magic Question, and that's on Audible and, and Amazon. And then I've got a website called getbartsbook.com, which you can get a free download of the book. And, and, of course, we build an email list, and we keep in touch with our customers. And then right now I'm doing something really unique called PRISM, P-R-I-S-M, PRISM Life Design. And we've got like a six-week program where we do what we've been talking about, build habits, create values, align their life purpose. And um, that's going on now. If you're interested, just look up prismlifedesign.com or at all the social medias at Bart Baggett. Shaheen, you've got a new book, and I heard it might be turning into a movie. Is that just a rumor? Yeah, there's there's a film in the works for a billion. How I became king of the thrill pole call. Guys, you can you can catch that in the show notes. More importantly, you guys can find me and the Amazon Mastery Course, all that stuff through the show notes. But I've got a closing question for Charlie. I want you to think about this one. Are you ready for our closing question? I don't know, man. I'm, I'm not good being put on the spot. Go for it. I love it. I love it. And yes, you are. I've seen your fights. You are a beast. So. Charlie, you're at your prime, the absolute best fighting shape of your life. And you are offered a fight, $100 million. Who would that fight be with? And would you take it? $100 million, I'll fight anybody. Um, <laughs> honest to goodness, for a million dollars, I'll fight anybody. The, the only, it's a weird thing because I'm afraid of a, a, a lot. Like, I'm afraid of getting in trouble. I'm one of those guys that walked into a store and wants to say, I'm not stealing anything, right? Even though, like, I've never stole a thing in my life. I just feel like this, this, like, ah, oh, I didn't do it. I'm sorry. Sorry, everyone. I don't get it. I'm afraid in that sense. I don't get afraid, like, in a ring, in a ring or anything. I just don't get afraid. That being said, I would not like to fight heavyweights only because of the impact. Like, they can really, really do damage. Um, Taekwondo people, people with crazy kicks. I don't like fighting them either. So I'll take a wrestler, boxer any day. Anyone, I don't care. Um, but yeah, I don't Who's, who's your dream fight? Khabib? Who are we talking? No, I don't. I, I, no, I don't. I've never had a desire to fight Khabib. Um, someone like Connor, that's a, a good fight for me, right? Because obviously he's got a lot of clout. Uh, not very solid wrestling. That's a good fight for me. When I do school presentations, the kids always ask, like, these are inevitable questions. Have you ever fought John Cena? Have you ever fought Brock Lesnar? Could you be Conor McGregor? Those are like the three. I'm starting my live presentations again in a month. It's going to be Jake Paul. Could you beat up Jake Paul? So I, I, whatever. I don't care. I'll fight anybody for a million bucks. For a million bucks. All right. Well, we're going we're gonna to leave it with that. And we totally appreciate it. Bart, thank you so much. And guys, we will see you on the next episode. Make sure to look up Charlie and all the work that he's doing. Thank you so much for being on. It's been a pleasure, guys. I appreciate it.